Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Happy Veterans Day to all those who have served our country honorably. And... um, Along those lines, I made this promise to a veteran at our Freedom Summit last weekend, so I better keep it. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Nowak is a veteran, Vietnam veteran. He's written a book called No Strings Attached, My Life Growing Up with the Birth of Rock and Roll. Uh, he uh, has two book signings free to all veterans today, and this is uh, in part sponsored by Ron, Ron Onesti. Uh, who uh, owns the Displains and Arcata Theaters. Uh, Arcata is in uh, Geneva, right? Um, So noon to 2 p.m., Displains, 3 to 5 p.m. today, Arcata, free to all veterans this Friday, November 11th, this Friday, Veterans Day. Jimmy Nowak, Vietnam veteran, the author of the book, No Strings Attached, My Life Growing Up with the Birth of Rock and Roll. Okay. All right. So uh, hopefully uh, people turn out for that, and a good time is had by all. Uh, Less of a good time is being had by Republicans right now uh, as they're watching Donald Trump continue to pillory Ron DeSantis without response from DeSantis, which is probably the right path uh, to take. But uh, yesterday on Truth Social, uh, Trump went on a rant uh, he, just so we're clear, this is not like reporting about this. This is not Maggie Haberman's reporting. This is Trump in his own words. Now that the midterms are over and a success, mm-hmm. uh, News Corp, which is Fox, the Wall Street Journal, and the no longer great New York Post is, well, are, uh, all in for Governor Ron DeSanctimonious. There he goes again. An average Republican governor with great public relations who didn't have to close up his state but did, unlike other Republican governors, whose overall numbers for a Republican were just average, middle of the pack, including COVID, and who has the advantage of sunshine, where people from badly run states up north would go no matter who the governor was, just like I did. He's he's not done. Oh, there's more, I know. Uh, Ron came to me in desperate shape in 2017. He was politically dead, losing in a landslide to a very good ad commissioner, Adam Putnam, who was loaded up with cash and great poll numbers. Ron had low approval, bad polls, no money. But he said if I would endorse him, he could win. I didn't know Adam, so I said, let's give it a shot, Ron. When I endorsed him, it was as though, to use a bad term, a nuclear weapon went off. Years later, they they were the exact words that Adam Putnam used in describing Ron's endorsement. He said... Quote, I went from having it made with no competition to immediately getting absolutely clobbered after your endorsement, unquote. Hmm. I then got Ron by the star of the Democrat Party, in quote star, in quotation marks, Andrew Gillum, who was later revealed to be a crackhead, and, Trump's words. And he's still in a thruple, by the way. 
uh, I'm very I'm sure he's very happy. Uh, by I'm sure having, his wife loves it, too. Yeah. I then got Ron by the start of the Democratic Party, Andrew Gollum, by having two massive rallies with tens of thousands of people at each one. I also fixed his campaign, which had completely fallen apart. I was all in for Ron. He beat Gillum. But after the race, when votes were being stolen by the corrupt election process in Broward County and Ron was going down 10,000 votes a day, along with now Senator Rick Scott, I sent the FBI and the U.S. attorneys and the ballot theft immediately ended just prior to them running out of the votes necessary to win. I stopped the election from being stolen. And now Ron DeSanctimonious is playing games. The fake news asked me if he's going to run for president, if he's going to run if President Trump runs. And he says, I'm only focused on the governor's race. I'm not looking to the future. Well, in terms of loyalty and class, that's not really an answer. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey Deb Pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. And uh, this is all the run up to Trump announcing he's going to run for president next week. Hmm. I don't. Uh, I don't think he's doing himself any favors if that's not painfully obvious. I don't think. You know, uh, Kim Strassel had a good way of saying it in her piece uh, on the midterms yesterday in the journal, which is to say, love Trump's fight, love that he's willing to fight like almost no other. But you also have to know which fights to pick. And uh, this fight that he's clearly picking, I don't think is the one he should be picking and he shouldn't be picking it in this way. Is that fair? You think this is the approach, whether you want Trump to run or not? Well, I, actually, I should limit it. If if you want Trump to run, if you want Trump to be the nominee, if you want Trump to be president again, do you think this is a productive approach? I don't know. I mean, doesn't a true leader know when it's time to hand the reins over to somebody else? Well, that's sort I of mean, what but his ego. And you know this, too. And we all know this. I think his ego gets in the way of everything. <laughs> he knows better. I mean, does he not see the landslide victory DeSantis had in Florida winning by more than a million votes by 19 percentage points? And he's not he's not that stupid unless he's surrounding himself yet again with stupid people who are feeding the beast and feeding his ego. Well, here's what uh, Virginia Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears had to say on Cavuto yesterday about Trump. Well, you know, his administration, when it came to the economy, helped us because black unemployment was the lowest it had ever been uh, historically. And then, of course, when it came to education, he forgave his administration the loans that historically black colleges and universities had owed that they could never repay. And by the way, provided a a permanent funding stream and then safety uh, forced NATO to bring their fair share only two percent of their GDP but when we look at the mission and as a marine we're looking at the mission and you know the voters have spoken and they have said that they want a different leader and a true leader understands when they have become a liability a true leader understands that it's time to step off the stage. And the voters have given us that very clear message. You agree? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You know, the important thing there about Winsome Sears' lead-in to her position is that it's not no, – no, most people who are, not, who are criticizing Trump now are suggesting this is a bad look, that he's – 
being self-serving to his detriment. They recognize what he did as president, just like yeah. you heard Winsome Sears recognize. I recognize the accomplishments. Recognize I appreciate it. appreciate a lot of the things he did. Supreme but, Court picks. I mean, there's, the list goes on and on. Right. But, but, but that is not a license to do anything and everything, particularly anything and everything that is both self-destructive and has, uh, you know, a large blast zone within the Republican Party. I just feel like this time it's just about him instead of the people. Like last time he said, I'll make America great. I'll make your life better. And he did for the most part. I, I don't see anybody complaining what happened between 2016 and 2020. But this time, I mean, we've got a very important runoff in Georgia. And I think he should wait until after that is over before he does anything. There's no need to jump in right away. Yeah, it's stop it's, being uh, selfish. In 2016, it was you're going to get tired of winning. You're going to get tired of winning. And in 2022, since 2020, really, and into 2022 now, it's I can't get over losing. You're going to get tired of winning. I can't get over losing. That's true. Uh, Winsome Sierra saying she can't support him if he goes again. Really? I could not support him. I, I just couldn't because we have seen, for example, in those states where he has endorsed uh, the candidates, in fact, Republicans on the same ticket who he did not endorse overperformed, whereas his candidates totally underperformed by as much as 10 points. We have a clear mission. And it is time to move on. Uh, I think the whole like Trump endorsement, you know, he gets no credit for the people he endorses that win. And he gets all the blame for the people he endorses that lose. I think the Trump endorsement is being overblown mm -hmm. uh, in both directions. So I don't think it's fair to say, you know, he lost uh, that that Oz losing in Pennsylvania, for example, is his fault or Blake Masters losing in Arizona is his fault. Uh, Kerry Lake, who he also endorsed, is running well ahead of Blake Masters. So there's something else afoot there. So I don't agree with all of it, that. You can just hang every loss and ignore every win when it comes to Trump. But the larger point about especially especially his navel gazing as to his potential announcement, not looking at the landscape here, and his 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 a recasting Ron DeSantis. No, it's so bizarre. It's well, People it's love it, him. I it's mean. it's Trump playing down to his worst instincts. There's no room on the stage for anybody but me. Mark in Rochelle. I get the feeling that a lot of this is just Trump is the way he is, but I, I get the feeling also he's just been fighting so much. He's kind of like that kid in the playground that just took on the circle of kids, and he's just bloodied and bludgeoned. And one of his friends comes up to pat him on the shoulder and say, hey, you're, you fought the good fight, and he, he takes him as another bad guy, punches him too, because he just can't stop himself. So it, it just... Yeah, but it's, it's, that's, it's, that's, it's, it's not a good look. Go ahead. Yeah. No, it's not. And yet everyone looks at you like, what is wrong with you? You just tried to – we just did a good thing by whatever. I just – I get that weird feeling, and he just can't help himself. He just has to fight everybody that isn't, like, with him 100% all the time. And uh, I, I don't know. I, it's, maybe you can put it into better words. No, I think no, that's that pretty good. good. That was a good, yeah, great analogy. Call, Mark. 
Uh, oh, yeah, we it's not just Veterans Day. Rich and Indian Head Park knows about the importance of this day as well. Yeah, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Amy, I just want to wish you a happy birthday, you and your son. And, uh, Dan, I believe it's your uh, father's birthday today also, isn't it? It is, Rich. It is. I, that unauthorized biography you're doing on me and Amy is coming along nicely, Rich. That's great. It's going to be one chapter. is going to be titled 1111. How old is your dad, Dan? Uh, he is 79 right. today. Oh. 79. 79, okay. Yeah. And yeah. Dan? So I want to salute all of you. Salute all of you. Ching dong. And I'd, right. also like to, uh, I'd also like to thank all the veterans uh, for their service. I was in the, uh, I served in the Army as a drill sergeant for six years in the late 60s. And I also want to thank, uh, really thank the veterans uh, and their families who sacrificed the ultimate. So we have the freedom we have today. Very you guys good. have a good day. Well, you too, you, Rich. And thanks for your service. Absolutely. Thank you, Rich. You've made the switch, and it feels so good. You switched to Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. stories only the biggest guests and only the biggest opinions this is am 560 the answer top of the morning dan and amy uh and happy birthday to amy who turned 79 today oh no that's my dad sorry Uh, and happy birthday to uh peyton he's 19 is he 19 or 18 how old is my son i don't know well, he's a freshman in college. So he's got to be probably 19. nineteen, right? Yeah, and he got another EBT card sent to the house yesterday. <laughs> Not kidding you. I have it here. Part of that uh, universal I'm, basic income pilot program in the city. He's not even in CPS anymore, and they sent him a new EBT card and sent him a congratulations. Here's your new EBT card. I have it Did right it here. come with a ballot or? <laughs> no, right. I mean, and of course it's in Spanish because everybody who has a Hispanic last name doesn't speak English, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll be calling uh, and seeing what uh, kind of fraudulent behavior is going on. All right. Well, we were talking about uh, Trump and the prospect of his announcement next week and what he's doing in the potent, the, the run-up if he does indeed go forward with that announcement, which is probably not a good idea for his own political interest, but I'm not sure that he is capable of seeing that. Uh, and what he's doing is spending a lot of time pillaring Ron DeSantis, as he did on Truth Social yesterday with a series of messages that were um, bordering on the hysterical. Uh, And uh, the question was, well, um, number one, should he delay the announcement pending the outcome of races in Arizona, pending the 
runoff in Georgia. Right. Uh, or And frankly, should he delay it even beyond that and uh, try to get a hold of himself and focus on being that uh, the leader of the revolt that he was in 2016 and not sort of the sore loser that he's been since 2020, if I could summarize it thusly. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. You know, he could be making arguments like Joel Kotkin has made, Joel Kotkin writing over at unheard.com. Joel Kotkin, who's been on this show, uh, I think he's one of the sharper observers of what's been happening over the last several years. He wrote a book called He's an academic at Chapman University, sort of a, a Democrat mugged by reality in his move to the center right. The The book, The uh, Coming Neo-Feudalism, is a must-read about what's happening in this country. And he writes about uh, the midterms saying, essentially, the uh, reckoning may just be deferred two years. Rather than using the next two years to regroup and craft a political program that could win the next election— the Democrats now appear stuck with a weak leader who appears unfit to deal with the global challenges that will define America in the coming decade. Internally, too, the Democrats look increasingly unstable. A stronger-than-expected midterms performance doesn't mask the fact that the progressives remain a dominant faction in the party with an associated agenda that, outside of deep blue college towns and core cities, commands remarkably low levels of support. And, you know, that is an important observation. And if you look at exit polling... Uh, despite the avalanche of ads, extra, every Republican running is an extremist, every Republican running is a Trumpkin, and so on and so forth. If you look at the exit polling, 52% say Republican candidates were too extreme. 51% say Democrat candidates were too extreme, which probably explains why, pending the outcome in Nevada, not a single incumbent governor or senator lost. As I've been saying since uh, Wednesday, it was a rally around the flag election. That's a, that's a remarkable. Not a single incumbent lost with Cortez Mastro in Nevada, the only one left who, well, and Mark Kelly, but I don't think he's going to lose in Arizona. No, but lose. but Cortez Masto, Masto in, um, in Nevada is really the only possibility of an incumbent losing. I know Democrats picked up two gubernatorial seats, but that was— those were open races in Maryland and Massachusetts. Not there was no incumbent. But but the, you know the 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 point that uh, Kotkin makes is a point that Trump should be making, Republicans should be making, prospectively, and optimistically about what is still before us once we make sure that we do indeed have control of the House and see how the Senate turns out. Now, one other parenthetical note on the Senate. And speaking of Cortez Masto, uh, that race is closing. Adam Laxalt, uh, I think there's about 10% of the ballots cast that are still out. Adam Laxalt's lead is down to 9,000 votes. And so it was 20,000 two days ago. Now it's nine. Right. And so every that's not, morning we wake up, it's getting closer and closer. So that, that race isn't over, and it may make the outcome in Georgia moot uh, in, in the sense of who controls the Senate. So got to watch Nevada closely, too. A lot of focus on Georgia and the, the runoff, a lot of focus on Arizona. Don't need a little bit more focus on Adam Laxalt's race in Nevada. And the governor there, the Republican gubernatorial candidate, Lombardo, is running um, a little bit ahead of where Laxalt is. 
so that's one thing. Uh, now, just as a quick aside before we return to Trump, uh, again, Maricopa County and Arizona and their inability to count votes in a timely fashion. It's just remarkable. And this is a chorus that is spanning the the political spectrum in terms of just the basic idea, which I think actually sort of has consensus. We should know election results on election night. Or it's shortly not a thereafter, big ask, is it? Or, or shortly thereafter, if it's very, very close. I mean, when they say maybe by this weekend we'll know. Yeah, this maybe is... like here in Illinois, they they're done counting November twenty second. That is ridiculous. But 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 you know, but that's that's votes. I mean, I agree Mailing with votes, you. But, yeah. It's it's votes trailing in that aren't going to probably affect the outcome uh, of any race. But nonetheless, yeah, right. And it, their it, mail ends in Arizona have to be in on Saturday. That's their cutoff. So Maricopa County's Board of Supervisors chairman. His name is Bill Gates. Unbelievable. I know. Can you His believe I mean, Bill Gates. change your name, dude, or just be B. Gates or something? Uh, hopefully early next week is what he said to CNN. <laughs> Again, when do you anticipate the votes will be counted in total, those 400,000 plus votes? Well, we have... Uh, we will be going into next week. There's some onesie twosies, uh, again, pursuant to Arizona law. But I think that we'll see the lion's share here wrap up by early next week. The lion's share? What is he in the romper room? I see Patty with the onesies and the twosies. Well, f- uh, you know, I, I, the, the real question is, hey, uh, Bill Gates, um, why is it taking so long? 400,000 votes still to be counted in Maricopa County? Why? Why can you not do what virtually every other state in the nation is able to do, which is count ballots in a timely fashion? And this happened again after it happened in 2020. I think that's problems. I think that's a fair question. But they've always had problems. When I lived there, they, they've always had problems. And it just shifts counties. Like it could be Pima, then Pinal, back to Maricopa, back to Pima. I mean, it's they can't get it together. And the person that's in charge of it is the woman that's leading right now, and that's Katie Hobbs. So Hobbs is up by about 27,000 votes. Mark Kelly's up by about 115,000 votes. Yeah, that, that race is over. Well, it might not be, I guess, if they have 400,000 left to count. So Probably. Probably. I did the math not gonna, there, Dan. Not going to happen for Blake Masters, but still could happen for Kerry Lake. I think that's probably where it's at. Roger, Southside. Hi, Dan. I'm going to make this short. Hi, Amy. Morning, Happy Friday. Uh, reiterating what you said regarding the type of candidates say the right or the GOP Republicans are going to need to look at for 24. You know, I think they got all the education they needed on Tuesday. Um, you know, I think, we, you know, unfortunately, I love Trump. He's what we need. You know, it was the same thing that the Packers needed Lombardi in the 50s. Um, but we know our country no longer can deal with alpha men. That's just how it is. If you can't put a nice spin on it, be nice to everybody. And, and, you know, you could be a little bit less efficient until, you know, we get to a war or, you know, the budget is behind $500 million. Okay, then bring in those Neanderthals, the monsters that we keep out in the suburbs. It's just not going to work. Because anybody under the age of 40, let's just say Chicago, look at our turnout in Chicago. All right, these people don't care. Okay, and it really comes down to what they don't want is some guy who, oh, if they're going to laugh at him, they're going to come over and maybe grab by the throat. You know, we're in bad shape in this country, you know, real bad shape with where uh, 
there's no loyalty to the country. You know, we social media has raised our children from the age of 30 down. I mean, what's good about it? Nothing. Look where we're at. In the uh, meantime, with all these ballot counting that here, they're letting Katie Hobbs. Oh, when we get around to the count, Katie, meanwhile, 2,500 illegals come in last night. It's a joke. Katie's not going to do anything for border security. Thanks for the call, Roger. Nothing. Um, Don Serber was a longtime columnist for a number of papers out in, on the eastern seaboard, West Virginia and Charleston. Uh, a couple of papers in West Virginia, like in Charleston. He wrote an interesting piece about um, right, the, the piece is entitled Life After Trump. And this is something it's um, it's 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 difficult to deal with because it's unfair in so many respects. He so he, here's his perspective. I really wanted Trump to come back, but I just don't see it. He's damaged goods done in by Barack Obama and the FBI and the Washington media. Chuck Schumer warned Trump at, on uh, on TV two weeks before his inauguration. You take on the intelligence community. They have six ways from Sunday getting back at you. Mm. That is evil. That is unfair. That is the world we live in. For like Sarah Palin, our enemies turn Trump into an albatross. He came so close to bringing Washington down that they will now destroy him, ruin his children, and salt his fields because he threatened them. He came ever so close. Hmm. So um, the point he's made, you know, so this guy, this guy starts from the premise of wanting Trump to come back initially but not seeing a path anymore. And a lot of the reason that there's no path back is unfair. Trump was treated badly, unfairly. Uh, what the left did to institutions in this country that people once had faith in, that people once relied upon, is evil. And Trump and they 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 use those institutions to target Trump. And now those institutions have lost legitimacy, but they don't care because if they can. Make Trump toxic and keep him front and center, then they can score the political benefit and aggrandize their power accordingly. So so this is the thing I think people are some somewhat wrestling with. It's not fair what they did to him. But. Unfortunately, we have to recognize that this is not about one man and we have to recognize what they effectively did to him and the impact it's had and will have, and particularly when he exacerbates it by the choices that he makes. And so. So. Life after Trump. Question mark. Jordan Force Park. Yeah, you know, um, do we have the we have Munchkin, Munchkin line back? back? I don't know. Hello? All right, all right, Jordan, Hello? you're a Munchkin. Talk slow, Jordan. Sorry. Hello. Can you yeah, hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Oh, go okay. ahead, Jordan. Yeah, so I think that I, I think that if Trump uh, looks like he's not going to be the GOP nominee because DeSantis isn't a lead or whatever, I think it's very likely he'll run as a third party, even if it's just right in, just to punish the Republican Party and especially punish DeSantis for uh, running against him. Yeah. I don't think uh, thanks so. for the what do you call, think, Dan? Well, if he announces he's running as a Republican and he thinks he's going to win and he, you know, fights to the end, you know, then that would foreclose the opportunity to run independent. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. I think we're a long way from that. Phil in Maryville. Yeah. Um, basically, what I'm uh, 
calling about all the people that are anti-Trumpers. They basically are looking for any little inch to verify their vote for Biden, which they know they got lied to by the media and the Democrats, and they, they basically feel shameful, and they, they have no excuse. All they want to do is vilify Trump for any little thing when the attacks are worse from the Democrats than any time in history. Thanks for the call, Phil. Well, the other thing, too, is you know, before you think uh, moving on from Trump is going to be some sort of panacea, and that will guarantee victory, and that uh, means we don't have to address other uh, uh, nagging problems within the ranks of the GOP, including at the leadership level uh, in the House and the Senate and elsewhere. Um, you know, that's that's being very Pollyannish. There are there. Are, yeah, Trump is not helping to address these problems, but there are problems that will exist whether Trump stays or whether Trump goes. Understand that. Well, the Democrats love what Trump's doing right now. Frank Arlington Heights. Good morning. You know, it's interesting with this Nevada race and a lot of these other races, how the way the votes are counted now, it's almost like a, a, a Democratic, Republican, Democratic sandwich. They come out with the early votes. They demoralize people. Then the Republicans get their, their votes on Election Day. And then there's all these ones that come in at the end, the Democratic sandwich. They get them in the beginning, and then they have enough at the end somehow to win. Well, no, in Arizona, uh, they're counting ballots. Part of that 400,000 are ballots that were cast on Election Day. That's how messed up their system is. True. I mean, But in Nevada, it's not. I I have no idea. I mean, it's nuts how Arizona can't can't get this done. It's been like four or five cycles in a row that they look like a joke. Um, But it's interesting, too. You know, voting used to be open ballot. Like, like a caucus. You know, you didn't have the secret ballot until 18, the 1870s. And, and this stuff changes throughout our history, how we count our votes and do these different things. And, um, you know, mail-in balloting here is, in many states, is going to be here to stay, and we've got to get better at it as a yeah. party. Yeah, otherwise, we're going to continue to, to lose some of these races. So, um, anyway, I just wanted to give those thoughts. I, I sure hope Black South pulls it out. Um, from what I've been reading, it sounds like, it looks like in the counties that he's got, counties that that he's favored in there's still vote out so hopefully he's he's got enough yeah um, i think i think he's 5149 yeah, yeah thanks for the covering i think he i think he ekes it out but i think it's going to get closer oh yeah uh bob in buffalo grove uh good morning amy and dan thanks for taking my call um and happy birthday to you amy and your son and to uh dan's uh, father uh trump is going to be primary it's a done deal uh, the question is, is who's going to um, step forward and do it? Uh, I've, I flash back to my early days back in 68 when uh, Eugene McCarthy challenged uh, uh, Johnson. Also, we had 1976 when Reagan challenged um, Ford. And then in 1980 when Kennedy tried to challenge uh, Carter. So uh, Trump is going to be primary. On the flip side... Biden, if he chooses to run, he's too going to be primaried. The question I have also is, it's so early in the game, I still remember 2007 when I thought it was a done deal that Rudy Giuliani and Hillary Clinton were going to be the nominees in 2008. And how did that turn out? Well, thanks for the call, Bob. Yeah, it is very early and something else, too, to consider. 
we're talking about this as it's a Trump versus DeSantis matchup potentially. And there's so but, many more going in. But if if you, if Trump is weakened and DeSantis is within shouting distance, then you're going to have more candidates come in because they figure, well, if this is you know a race to 25 percent of the vote, uh, then I might as well get get in and further dilute it. Maybe I see a path for myself to 25 percent, 30 percent of the vote, uh, particularly in some of the early states, depending on which candidates you're talking about. I mean, there are other candidates that have profile, that have constituencies, that have the ability to raise money. So this, you know, you're right. There's a lot more potential complications to come. Dennis in Edgewater. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. I just want to say this. One, I'm, I supported Trump in all the elections. I'm not an ever-Trumper. Mm-hmm. However, I'm concerned about what he's doing and how he's diminishing not only the Republican image, uh, but the conservative brand. I do think the Republican National Team... Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender committee needs to seriously think about how they plan and manage the next presidential elections, the primaries in 2024, and that they do a, a, a very important job of, of vetting how we manage the candidates on that stage, how we manage the questions, how we manage the positions, so that we hear from all the candidates, not just Trump. I am worried that Trump's going to be a drag on the, on the Republican brand. I have a son who's conservative who definitely is worn out by Trump, yeah. and I worry that he's not alone. And myself, I'm also worried that I'm, I'm burned on Trump. And I'm disappointed to hear what he's saying about DeSantis because I think DeSantis or governors like DeSantis, whether it's Nikki Haley or Christine Nome or other governors that uh, demonstrated their, their conservative credentials, would have the experience needed to run this country. Thanks, Dennis. Trump, Trump's going to have a nickname soon Thanks, for all Dennis. of them. Appreciate it. Yeah. You've made the switch, and it feels so good. You've switched to Chicago's morning answer. On AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Turning our attention to our ongoing postmortem on the midterms in Illinois, outgoing super minority leader Jim Durkin has some thoughts. He uh, gave an interview to uh, the NPR station down in Champaign on the election cycle, his review. What happened? And it's a review that he's given many times over many election cycles, including the last several he's presided over. 
where it's the same excuses for the same results. So let's see if you agree. Here's what he had to say about uh, the gubernatorial candidate, State Senator Darren Bailey. Senator Bailey uh, is a fine man. Uh, he represents a very conservative part of the state. Senator Bailey is who he is. But when it comes to winning seats in the areas where the most votes are cast, that means it's the city of Chicago, the suburbs, and the Colorado counties. The attitudes and the uh, approach is much different. And Senator Bailey's, uh, I would just say that uh, his style and his philosophies didn't work up here. And uh, a little bit more before uh, we take your calls, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Uh, Durkin on the suburbs, he's talking about the suburbs, so let's be a little bit more explicit. There was a time where the suburbs were pretty strong Republicans. We lost that maybe 15, 20 years ago. But the collar counties are now very, very, I would say, close to being blue, if not purple. And you're seeing that in the county board races where Democrats are winning most of the county seats. And you have to be able to appeal to more than just the conservative base in Illinois to succeed at a statewide level. Look at the last people that we, last Republicans that were able to win statewide races. Judy Bartopinka, Mark Kirk, Jim Edgar, all considered moderates. And if they were around today in office, they would be considered rhinos. They would be vilified. And I've been, I've been called a rhino. And you know what? That's part of, that's the major part of the problem with the party. If you don't go along with hundred percent of the conservative way, if you don't abide hundred percent by the party platform, you're of no good. So uh, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Um, there's a, several interesting things there. One is um, the last uh, Republicans to win statewide. So that's eight years ago, and it was two of them. Judy Bartopinka, who had been on the ballot for 30 years. My whole life. Yeah, exactly. Seriously. And, and Bruce Rauner, which I can explain his 2014 narrow victory over uh, – a very limp candidate with light support even among his own party and Pat Quinn. Um, but I don't want to get too bogged down on that. And then he, and then he has to go back to Jim Edgar. Um, Jim Edgar last ran for office in 1994. Still has a voice, though. They still go to him all the time. Yeah, but that's not the point. The point is you're talking about examples of how you win. 1994. How many years ago is that? 26 by my math. Uh, the state is a very different state than it was 26 years ago. It's a very different state than it was eight years ago. That's number one. But number two, what he said there about the suburbs, a fine, finally a, a bit of an acknowledgement. Because, uh, again, purposely people pretend that every election occurs in a silo. We just start over. We just start over in 2022 and we pretend like what we've been doing and what has occurred over the past 20, 30, 50 years doesn't mean anything. Oh, really? Doesn't mean anything over that time period over since 1980. We've lost seven congressional seats. 
that, that does that does that mass exodus does that mean anything? Does that have an impact as that continues to roll downhill and increase in pace over the last decade? But yeah, right. Jim Durkin admitting we lost the suburbs 15, 20 years ago. Uh, let me give you a reminder here. George Ryan in 1998 got 72% of the vote in DuPage County. By 2010, mm -hmm. in a wave Republican year, the Tea Party year, the Obamacare revolt year, Bill Brady lost the governor's race in a wave year, 12 years ago, lost the governor's race and got 52% of the vote in DuPage County. So in 12 years, you saw a 20% attrition in DuPage County. And I said, well, it's because Brady was a downstater or this or that. Whatever. The, 12 years, 20% percentage points, not percent, percentage points in attrition in DuPage County, what was the most populous Republican county in the state, no longer. And it hasn't been for a long time. And so now fast forward 12 years from 2020, excuse me, fast forward 12 years from 2010, and what do you think's been happening? What has Jim Durkin and the people in charge of the Republican Party, what have they done to claw back suburbanites into the Republican Party? What evidence of there is that? Their approach, they've been in charge. It hasn't been conservative reform types in charge of anything. And to the extent that Rahner positioned himself as one in that 2014 primary he narrowly won with the plurality of the vote over kirk dillard then he turned around as governor and made terrible strategic decisions which people like me opposed even though i agree with them you know in theory and uh, about right to work leading off with right to work resolutions that had the, the, the ground was not at all fertile for complete waste of political capital and then breaking all of his promises sanctuary state abortion on demand taxpayer funded and raising taxes raising taxes you know just like that great republican jim edgar did raise taxes and the pension ramp that put us on a glide path to economic ruination so we lost it all we we were we were losing 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 and we had judy bartopinka as the governor gubernatorial candidate against a, a guy who was under federal investigation at the time in 2006 and she got blown out didn't she? Mm -hmm. We have a wave election year in 2010 and we miss it and we lose the governor's race in a wave election year for the Republican Party. And now 12 years later, you want to say, oh, well, uh, we had a downstater. I, I mean, Darren Bailey could have been a lot stronger candidate. I I'm not saying that there is not a conversation to, to be had about the quality of the campaign, the quality of candidates for the governor's race and other races. Not saying that at all. But to, to ignore the landscape and to ignore the trajectory the party and the state has been on under the leadership of Durkin and Cross before him, under the leadership of McConkie and Brady before him and Redonio before the, him. These are all uh, conservative revolutionaries. Hardly. They could be the opposite. State party chairman, conservative revolutionaries. Where? Iconocl iconoclastic uh, Trumpians, where? Nowhere. Who's going to take his place? We'll see. Uh, and by the way, uh, the, the, the percentage of the vote in the city of Chicago, 
Um, Darren Bailey got a greater percentage of vote in the city of Chicago in 2022 than Bruce Rauner did in 2018. Wow. Bruce, Bruce Rauner, the suburbanite, the suburbanite, right. suburbanite. Fact. Um, he got a greater percentage of the vote in the city of Chicago. Darren Bailey did. Greater percentage of the vote in the city of Chicago than Judy Bartopinka did in 2006. Wow. So, so tell me again about just this cycle in isolation and pretending there's no important context. We, we pretend like we started this election without supermajorities of Democrats in the House and Senate. Well, if there are supermajorities in a body of 118 state legislators and 59 state senators, that probably tells you something about the electorate, including in the suburbs, doesn't it? This this all predated this election cycle, which is why I you know, I, was, I was telling my friends like Gary Rabine, don't run. I was telling my friends like Richard Porter, don't run. No matter how good a year it will be in the midterm, again with Joe Biden in the presidency, I, I, you people vastly underestimate how far gone the suburbs are. Then we made a play, and one one of the things that we did accomplish was we established personal safety as an important issue, and obviously the the leadership of this state made personal safety a salient issue because. They have so diminished people's personal safety, but we focus people's attention on it. And you know what that did? It drove down Pritzker's vote by 400,000 votes, 2018 to 22, 400,000 votes. So that's the opportunity for if there was going to be a surge, if there was going to be mass epiphany in the suburbs to say, I want to embrace politician, even if I disagree with them on a bunch of issues. But personal safety, we're fully aligned, and that's... That's that's the most important thing. That's the first priority, the top priority. But they weren't there. They're not here. It's a conversation we had with Michael Goodwin at the end of the show yesterday. Michael Goodwin talking about Lee Zeldin's race right. and how close Lee Zeldin came. Yeah, he did. It was a great job. But he's like, you can't get there from here. Uh, in the last uh, 24 years since they last won a, a governor's race with Pataki in 98, What's happened, as Michael Goodwin was telling us, 200,000 fewer Republican registrations, a million more Democrats. They're not there. And then with the exodus of that's been ongoing in New York, they lost a congressional seat, too. That was sped up during the pandemic. They aren't there. And so you can talk about vote by mail programs and early vote and the mechanics of campaigns. And that's definitely part of the conversation. But you can't be serious if you don't look over the span of two decades and see what has been happening and where you found yourself at the outset of this cycle and what you saw in terms of the results vis-a-vis turnout, even though you were winning crime voters by a factor of seven to one, which is which is what Bailey was winning crime voters by. Same thing with Zeldin in New York. There, You need a change in mentality. You need a cultural revolution in states like Illinois and New York so that people will reconsider what they've been supporting. And we're not there yet. How much worse does it have to get? Worse. And it will. Mike in Orland Park, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, good morning. 
honestly, um, I think Billy had a chance, a better chance in Chicago if he had focused on what um, the what what the three what the Trisker did to the black community with the marijuana. What he's done, how they how the Democratic Party has used the black community, and the, there are you know years and years. But if you're gonna you know you know bring it you know contrast the difference and, you know, because Trump had mentioned that. What do you got to lose? You guys haven't gotten nothing over the years, but you guys didn't press the thing. I mean, barely um, the, the the elitists of the Republican Party. They didn't, I didn't see them supporting you. Yeah, you thanks know? for the call, Mike. Well, I mean, look, um, we, we did the Real Talk series with Charles Thomas that included that message about uh, Pritzker lying to the black community about cannabis uh, dispensary licenses. We uh, did, I mean, I spent, I don't know, 400 grand on field programs, uh, specifically in in majority black suburbs and black neighborhoods around Chicago, passing uh, palm cards, putting up yard signs, advertising in every black media outlet that I could find uh, with that message too. And you know what happened? 30% 30% lower turnout in Chicago in 2018. I mean, excuse me, in 2022 over 2018. The spreads uh, were similar, Ronner to Bailey, in terms of the black vote. But the universe was down because we pushed people off of Pritzker for some of those reasons. Was it enough, fast enough? Well, obviously not. But uh, it's hard to do more than that in a single election cycle in a four-month period from July to five-month period from July to November. Well, it's really four months from July to November. It's just hard to do more than we did. I mean, I, you know, we spent 35, my PAC spent $35 million. Prisker spent $150 million. And, and for those saying, oh, well, you know, the, the Richard Irvin, the, uh, you know, <laughs> Richard Irvin finished third in the Republican primary. Fifty million, fifty million dollars. He didn't have enough money to get a message out. No, but Pritzker got involved in that primary election by giving money. That's how he got involved to make sure that he wasn't his candidate. Fifty million dollars Richard Irvin had in that primary. That's not enough to get a message out. He lost by thirty six, thirty seven points because he's a horrible candidate. Exactly. Horrible. That's the point. Pick a worse candidate. That's the point. I mean, all of this, like, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterback where where we just like just say things we wish were true, but we don't have to actually look at what happened and the prospect of something different occurring. You have to analyze it based on what actually is, not what you wish it was. And we do that all the time. And no one does that more than these surrender Republicans with their warmed over talking points about the 11th commandment. And if I agree with somebody eight out of 10 times, the problem is that you don't agree with us on eight out of 10 things. These, these surrender Republicans versus conservatives, but it's even bigger than that. It's even bigger than that. There is no value proposition that suburbanites find compelling. How long have I been saying that? Well, as long as I've been on the radio, so that's 12 years, and I've been saying it privately for a lot longer than that. Oh, Dawn in Crystal Lake. This will be fun. Yes, good morning. I grew up in the Kenry County 
in the southwest corner of Coral Township, which is the most conservative, the Texas of Illinois. I am a physicist. I am a space plasma physicist and solar radio astronomer. So I grew up in the now reconfigured 11th district in which my fellow physicist, Bill Foster, formerly of Fermilab, ran for re-election for Congress. Yeah, we're, yeah. I, I have also worked at Fermilab in the past and have both a high-energy physics background and a space physics background. And so? Yet, the Illinois Republican Party, the McHenry County Republican Party, and you have entirely blocked me from trying to discuss matters that need to be discussed. Like what? I would have been, I would have been very happy. What is the matter? What is the matter that you run. want to discuss? I would have been very happy to run <laughs> and represent the 11th Congressional District. What is the matter you want to discuss that you're being blocked from discussing? I'm giving you a chance and you won't discuss it. So that I would run against a fellow phys- Okay, see you, Don. I mean, okay. All right. Uh, to here's, the point, woman. Uh, here's more of uh, Jim Durkin talking about, you know, the fringe element. And right now, there's a fringe element within the Republican Party who would rather be part of subtraction to make their point as to using their heads and finding a way for us to be able to compete on a statewide basis. I don't, I don't know what that means. What, what did we run on? We ran on public safety, personal safety, and economic security. So what are we, what are we supposed to do exactly? What, what, is, what is that you know, fringe element, addition, not subtraction? You string together these cliches. What does that mean? How does that translate into a strategy? What is it exactly you're saying the message should be, Jim Durkin? He has no idea. He doesn't have a clue. He hasn't given any thought. He just waits for the beating to come, and then he gives the, if my people that, that I wanted to win didn't win primaries or didn't win generals, then that's some mysterious fringe element's fault, not mine, it, it, despite the fact that you're one of the party leaders. Okay. Well, that's an approach. David Winnetka. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, so during uh, on the election day, I saw a graph. Uh, it, 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 it was about Biden's approval rating and states that uh, where the approval rating was was low, the, the color would the redder they were, like the, you know just the color red. So you know New York was pink, uh, California was pink, and then there was a lot of red, obviously very deep red in, in the Midwest. Illinois was completely white. <laughs> So the approval, Biden's approval rating was he's like 45, I think it is, or something. In Illinois, it was, it's like 75 or something. No, 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 no. But he, he, th- thanks for the call. His approval rating here was 50 percent. And when I when um, that number was generated about two weeks before the election, uh, uh, polling I did, and that at the time he was 40 percent nationally. Historic low. Historic low at this time for pres- any president since World War II. But he was 25% higher, his approval rating, than it, in Illinois than he was nationally. And I, I will say again, 48 48% of the state thinks Illinois is on the right track. 52% says wrong track. Nationally, what do we know? 75% wrong track? 
So the beautiful lies have taken hold in Illinois. Of people's brains. The beautiful lies have taken hold, and the sensible center-right voters have left. And that's something that's tough to confront, but that's what the numbers say. 400,000, you know, and, and again, if you have an alternate explanation, fine. Come up with it. 400,000 votes fewer Pritzker got in 2022 versus 2018. That was an opportunity. It was not seized upon. You don't believe me? Then you tell me why. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Just one more point on the discussion we're having about the state. The issue we ran on, the issue Bailey ran on, and most people actually fell in line, even though the Republican Party in the state is not very good at working together. But most people fell in line, at least were repeating the message to some extent. The Pritzker Purge Law, the Safety Act, personal safety. Give me another message. In recent memory, not just in this cycle. Give me another message that had such broad bipartisan support. I've never seen. No. I've never seen a hundred of a hundred states attorneys, uh, Democrats and Republicans, and county sheriffs and judges and just regular people, mayors, police chiefs, speak with effectively one voice on a piece of legislation in my life. Never seen that. And the first responsibility of government is people's personal safety. The There's a general understanding, I think, that if you're not safe, then a lot of other things like your sort of economic opportunities – you know, it rolls downhill from there. That That's going to be secondary, and that's not going to be good either. So, and, 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 and this is why Pritzker had to respond down the stretch. We drove the terms of discussion in the governor's race, and by extension, the rest of the races. We drove the terms of debate. He had to respond down the stretch. He had to uh, oscillate on the safety act and change his position moderate 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 all the way to the end why was he doing that because it was hurting him because people were fleeing him they did so uh, all of you uh, and you know i'm not not so much talking to our listeners but you know uh, the chattering classes out there and the com shop for the democrat socialists called the chicago press corps it, you're all experts you're all geniuses you tell me tell me what should have been done, what could have been done, that one was better than that issue. And, oh, by the way, if you wanted uh, Richard Irvin to be your nominee, the establishment types, and you think that's what was the path because we were going to outplay, we were going to out-identity politics the left, oh, just remember that He's Richard Irvin was a supporter of yep. the Safety Act. He sure was. So that issue would have been by the boards in a general election with him. I mean, honestly, the, the revisionist history and the unwillingness to confront the political reality in this state is breathtaking. It's astounding. And it's coming from mainly one place, an establishment Republican Party that still wants to sidle up to the Democrats, that still wants to be liked by the Daily Herald editorial board.
It's pathetic. And it's a guaranteed recipe for continued losing. Okay. Switching gears. Uh, two big stories yesterday in the financial world. One, obviously, the rally yeah, in the rally. markets because of the better-than-expected inflation number. It's only 7.7%. Hooray. Yippee-dee. Uh, and then this uh, Madoff-like meltdown of FTX. I mean, I was upset when I lost 100 bucks to you, uh, Amy. Uh, that's nothing compared to Sam Bankman-Fried losing $16 billion overnight. For more on this, both of these stories, we're pleased to be joined by our friend, Scott the Cow Guy. Shelley. Scott, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning. How are you? Morning. So let's start with this uh, meltdown in the crypto world and what that means for the uh, crypto sector generally. Uh, uh, explain, if you will, what happened with FTX, whether Sam Bankman-Fried is going to jail or should go to jail, and what it means for cryptocurrencies. Well, I mean, I, and I don't know how much I've talked to you about it, but I've been an open um, critic of crypto uh, just because I think it's um, it's verging on beyond me. It's, it's almost like a fad to me, um, and I'm on the record of saying that, you know. If you look at uh, the year-to-date performance, it's down 72%. And I think a lot of people that have no idea what they're doing got smoked. And it makes me angry. So a lot of the things that everybody jumped into crypto for, uh, you know, less government, non-traceable, um, those types of things, a lot of these, uh, you know, Venmo-like apps are starting to do more and more of anyway. And I got cornered on uh, Fox Business last summer when they asked me my thoughts on it. And I said, look, go down to the... The, the streets of Chicago, ask 10 people if they've heard of Bitcoin. They'll probably all say yes. Ask how many of them know what it is. Maybe four know what it is. Maybe. And then how many of those four have actually invested in it? Probably one. And so that, to me, has always been a very big question mark about how that's an a- actual investment vehicle. You know, in 2016 or 17, Goldman Sachs put together uh, cryptocurrency trading desk, which was supposed to be a big deal. Well, that has been since disbanded, and now they're trying to bring it back to life again. But this whole idea that the government's not going to be involved, I think it's just poppycock. I mean, I don't understand how anybody can think that they're going to let this go on without there being some sort of traceable profit that they can actually tax at some point in time. And so these things, it's like the, the, the tide has gone out, And now they realize the emperor has no clothes. And that's that's my point of view. Because everybody was so gung-ho about it. Now, I was in London for for four years, from 2015 to 2019, on the elevator every day, listening to these young kids talk about how this is a fantastic thing. I got in at 6,000, 7,000. I got up to 21,000. They crashed back down to 6,000. And it was never talked about in the elevator again. But from then, it it, it rallied from 6,000 to 66,000. And we're just over 17000 today. And, I mean, that to me is not an investment. That to me just tells me that people that wanted to get involved were only hoping that the person behind them was going to pay more for it than they did. They had absolutely no idea what it is. And so these, I still don't like it. I still think it's, it's a fad. And I think that ultimately you're going to have these governments, ours included, that are going to introduce their own central bank digital currencies, and all of these other things out there are going to be by the by. They're going to go by the wayside. But, so but, I'm absolutely still. 
Yeah. Okay. And so, and so, but so what is FTX? Is that just the, is that a Lehman Brothers of the crypto world? What is that? Yes. 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 And, and so, then, so, I mean, go ahead. O- no, over, their shortfall of what, 10 billion? So are their users going to lose everything? I mean, I, that's, uh, to the people I've spoken to so far about it, there, nobody's quite sure. Well, so it's so, it's so what over leveraged and making bad bets with customer money, right? That's that's what I understand. Yeah, and that's like what a hundred year old problem, two hundred year old problem. I mean, right. since the Dutch and the tulips, right? I mean, and this is and, and, and okay, you can tell my frustration. It's like people are surprised. I, I just I, everybody would ask me about it because it's always this really cool thing you want to be involved in, and yeah, when you see something go from six to sixty six thousand. You think, oh, my gosh, I just missed out on the best thing ever. And then everybody piles in at the high, and then Mr. Retail is the one that gets smoked. That's how I can't afford it. And I have friends that are smart. I think a lot of a lot of them. But they get involved with Bitcoin at 45000 or 50000 They looked good for a day or two. But it's, I, it, 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 what is it that's going to change your life? It just... Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I can tell you. No, no. I mean, I just, I just, it's just, I mean, and this is, you know, it's the Sam Bakeman freed wonderkind uh, no more. This, he was one of the poster boys for the crypto yeah. world. And now he's, you know, he's gone from a hero to a goat in the blink of a, the blink of a click. Yeah. And that, that big, I, I can't remember her name now, but the big woman that was a big tech investor, same thing. And you know what they do is they double down. They don't even just kind of say, you know what? My bad. Kathy Wood. Yeah, right. That's Kathy right. Wood was a big tech investor, right? Yeah. I mean, that's her name, I think. But yeah. And then she's got, she got blown out of the water. I mean, look at look at Facebook, 353 down to 90. And these people sit they don't they don't sit down and go, you know what? Well, that was a bad idea. No, I still love it. I'm still in. Well, and and I don't but, have but that same power. I mean, this is and, and and also to be clear too, and for you know, sort of a, a, a warning for investors. This was what I was getting, at least for watching some of the the infestotainment shows yesterday. Is the the corporate governance uh, at uh, FTX not exactly up to par? I also heard from a, a, a friend of mine who's an investor in another crypto play um, that uh, th- that when ftx came to them looking for money they presented a phony set of balance sheets so th- there's also something else going on here too it would seem maybe it's fraud i don't know but um but the corporate governance was like sam bankman sam, sam bankman freed and a and a couple of guys there's, there's no there was no cfo uh, it's not the sort of the corporate governance structure that you would otherwise have confidence in and if you don't see a corporate governance structure that you have confidence in in terms of oversight then maybe you should pass Yes, and here and, and this is where my frustration basically lies from. The fact that you know I was a, a vocal critic, didn't want to get involved, but I would never put a customer in Bitcoin, and I have never to this point in time ever myself or anybody else I know or anybody else's uh, money that I could manage. But because of that, you lose out on business because you're boring, and it's not the place to be, and people don't want to talk to you because they want it to be sexy. Well, how sexy is seventy? You know, sixty-six thousand to six thousand or six or sixteen thousand. I mean, that's the problem, but, and, and so that's what makes me angry. It's like, then we start to see the tide go out and nobody's wearing any you know, swimsuits and everybody's shocked that's not because I do believe that there's going to be probably, there's got to be some fraud involved. You're right. And then, and, and, and once again, and you know, it's an old story. It's not new. Nobody's recreating the wheel. 
Well. But here we are. And look yeah. at the volatility. And here's the last thing I'll say about it. Everybody took their ball and went home. That thing used to be so – I'm talking Bitcoin now. That was so volatile, four or 5,000 points a day up and down. After – you could tell – I could tell that they stuck a fork in it about a month ago because everything else around it, the stock market, commodities, currencies, were going bananas volatility-wise. And, and Bitcoin was just stuck at 20,000. Like People were like, okay, we're done. And, that's what, and now they've, they've tried to stay alive, and they're having to call uncle now. That thing hasn't really moved when everybody thought, okay, it's going to go back up to 50s, whatever. And that means that everybody took their ball and they went home. They're not invested anymore. Speaking of the market, so uh, rational exuberance over the inflation number yesterday? Is that uh, like looking for a reason to be excited? (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, everybody's looking for something to be happy about. They've all suspended disbelief like, the same people that voted for John Fetterman are going to be happy that the stock market was up yesterday. Yeah, it's <laughs> nice to see. But uh, it's it's seven point seven percent. I mean, I, I you know I, it's inexplicably inexplicable. That's that great of news. You've got housing that's, that's tanking. Your four hundred one k is still down five to ten percent wherever your you know your money's parked. We've had a historic run back, and that. But I I said uh, last Saturday when you saw me, Dan, I got out of half our family assets. Because, you know, it was down 18%, and I was only down 9%. I got half back. I'm like, we're going to get out of some of them. Not all of them. If the market does rally, we'll still partake. But it's still too devolatile to be all in and watch this thing swing around like it's going to be doing. So the market's up uh, uh, 1,100 points because we're going to maybe not raise rates by three-quarters, just a half. I mean, that doesn't make sense. I mean, that's like me you know, celebrating that I'm less fat. I mean, well, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> So so far to go, um, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like the suitcase on the Queen Mary. <laughs> um, so, but but so then, so where do you see? First of all, is there any reason to believe that the Fed will ease off just because of of they see a half a point decline in inflation year over year? Is there any reason to even believe that, um, or people are just looking for an article of faith to hold on to? Yeah, well, everybody's talking about this word pivot, the Fed pivot, right? which is a lot of garbage, right? Pivot to me means change direction, okay? Everybody's using that word as either A, they're going to slow the pace of rate hikes, B, they're not going to raise rates as much, right? Or C, finally stop raising rates, or D, then start cutting rates. I, I, I think that um, the Fed, okay, we have a supply-side problem, not a demand-side problem. And the Fed can only deal with the demand. And what I mean by that is they're destroying demand to try to bring down inflation. So they're going to destroy your 401k. They're going to destroy your house value. They're going to destroy any wealth that you may or may not have or may have had in order to get inflation down where we need to have the ability to frack, drill, uh, and whatever they can do on the supply side to bring the price of things down because that's the issue. And so until that can happen, this problem is not going to go away anytime soon. I said it on Saturday. The last time we had inflation at these levels, it took four presidents to get rid of it. Now, it's probably not going to take four presidents to get rid of it this time. However, it, it, you know, when I see the savings rate, which has plunged as of late, credit card usage has gone through the roof as of late, that means people are believing the administration's lying that we're going to get through this quickly. But we're not. So those that are taking out savings and using their credit cards to get through this problem are going to have a, a, a very hard time in six months when they only see that CPI at six and a half. 
because remember in 1971, uh, the, 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 you know, the, you know, what hit the fan with Nixon, 6.6% was way too high for him. And he instituted wage controls and price controls where you had to go to the government to decide if you want to pay your workers more or raise prices on your goods at 6.6%. And we're celebrating 7.7. He is slow your roll here. Take a step back. He is Scott the Cow Guy, Shelley, market specialist for Market Day Report, 10.30 to 1 p.m. And the Cow Guy close, also, uh, same network, 1 p.m. to 1.30 p.m., both RFD TV. Check it out. RFD TV, market specialist for Market Day Report, 10.30 to 1. The Cow Guy close, 1 to 1.30. Scott, thanks as always. Have a great weekend. Thanks, you too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You've made the switch, and it feels so good. You switch to Chicago's morning answer on AM 560. The answer. This is Chicago's morning answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Brett Baer did yeoman's work uh, manning the Fox News desk on election night, uh, yep. along with the panel, uh, bringing us the results. That's what I was watching. And, uh, well, let's get right to it because there's a lot of postmortem to go through. Brett Baer, host of Fox News Special Report, 5 p.m. Chicago time uh, during the week, of course. Number one best-selling author of To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union, and The Crisis of 1876. Brett, thanks for joining us, as always. Appreciate it. Morning. Morning. So, you know, it, it worked against Jeb and it worked against Ted and it worked against Hillary. But uh, when it comes to Ron DeSantis, do you think Trump is going to the well once too often with his preemptory frontal assault? Ron DeSantis may be his kryptonite. It may be the issue that um, that really diminishes his appeal even in MAGA country, it's really amazing to watch, like what has developed over the last few days. And um, yesterday's post and yesterday's, I mean, kind of bizarre screed. Yeah, screed uh, was was really amazing. Just an average governor, um, you know. People only went to Florida because of the sunshine. It was. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, 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 it's a perk. <laughs> we, it happened right as special report was happening. And we had just moved in the panel. And I had all this other stuff to talk about with uh, Mar Lyson and Martisen and Guy Benson. And I said, guys, this is just posting. We're going to have to talk about this. And they said, yeah, we all read it. Well, what about and this? We, oh, I'm so sorry for stepping on you. Go finish. No worries. Well, what, no, no, I, so the, we changed. Yeah, okay, so you changed. Audible. Good. Well, what about the part where he said he sent in the FBI to stop ballot theft so DeSantis could win the election in 2018? Have you ever heard of that before? Never. That's so bizarre. Never. Well, and, and also um, he created, he pulled out one of his ribs and he created Ron DeSantis. <laughs> I mean, it's so bizarre that... I actually think even the diehard maggot people are saying, wait a second, hold on. This is too weird. And the thing is, is that it's sort of like uh, arguing at Christmas, you know, why are you fighting with dad? 
you know, why, why are you fighting with um, – it's just – it's really, really bizarre. And I think it's going to really be uh, – as, as hard as this is to say, uh, the thing that after all of this – that brings Trump's popularity down. I think that, you know, you look at the Access Hollywood, you look at the John McCain statement, you look at all of the things he's done and said all of his career. I actually think this is the thing that actually is going to bring his popularity more, you know, down to down to the bottom. So is he well, going to make the announcement, though, on Tuesday, or do you think he's going to listen to other advisors and maybe wait till after the special election in Georgia or until the ballots have been counted and... Nevada and Arizona. I mean, after that statement last night, do you think he's listening to any advisors? No. I, I think he's he's going to go forward. He's going to plow forward. And you know, I really wonder how the Republican Party. If you're Herschel Walker, what do you Ooh. what are you thinking? Well, you're thinking that um, I need Brian Kemp to be uh, the headliner at my rallies, not Donald Trump. I assume. I need Ron DeSantis. And Ron oh, DeSantis. Yeah. Yeah. And Ron DeSantis, I'm sure, will be there. And, you know, I think DeSantis, uh, from everything we've seen from him, is sophisticated enough to not respond, to not take the bait, to help Herschel Walker uh, into the end zone if it if that's where Senate control uh, turns and and also continue focus on being governor uh, until and unless uh, uh, until he's ready to, to make a move. I mean, if 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 you're seeing. Trump's popularity diminish because of these histrionics, then you might as well sit back and wait. Yeah, I mean, that's a smart play, but eventually he's got to say something. Um, we offered a town hall. That would be really good. You know, yeah. Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, but I don't think it's going to happen. You're going to need a cage uh, uh, over that town hall. Um, so, you know, and, and – um, and the DeSantis thing, uh, so we have very little doubt about what Trump's intentions are, but there is still some doubt about Ron DeSantis's intentions, at least in terms of, you know, the, the unnamed advisors uh, up until at least Election Day where maybe he doesn't do it if Trump runs and so on and so forth. Do you, do you think there's any doubt DeSantis gets into the presidential race? I don't. Okay. I think that um, – I, I think if there was any doubt that it's race now, I think he feels – from what I, everything I've heard is that this opens the door. Um, you know, remember Chris Christie? He was on the cover of Time magazine. He was the up-and-comer governor of New Jersey, and he sat out yeah. in that first election, and yep. that was his downfall. Was Had he done it, I think he he actually would have gotten the nomination then. Well, it's interesting, too, because um, we know this in Chicago. You know, Barack Obama, after he was elected to the Senate in 2006, he was very reticent to get into the race in 2008. He said, I don't know, he it's too to soon. I probably need a little bit more seasoning in the Senate. And advisors around him, including Axelrod, said, you know, when the window opens, you, you know, or when the Overton window opens, you, you need to crawl through it, and this is your time. And he did it, and obviously the rest is history. I think that's probably the same with DeSantis. He's midterm. He's term limited. It, it's a much better opportunity now on the heels of that blowout victory than who knows what the world will look like two years after he's done serving governor. Yeah, it's all about timing, you know, and I love talking to people in Chicago who say, had Mike Dicka done it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> run for Senate. <laughs> there would he not was, have been a President Obama. He was Obama. thinking I don't about think it. So. 
I, I mean, I he was. I don't uh... think so. I don't think so. I think that that's just wishful revisionism. But um, I know. I know. It's Alan Keyes couldn't do it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so, so uh, the rest of so the the, the the states that are outstanding, as Amy was just referencing, um, Adam Laxalt. You know, we still have to have Adam Laxalt. If you're a Republican, we still have to have Adam Laxalt hold on there to make Herschel Walker's race the key one in terms of Senate control. Um, so your handle on Nevada, and then. Why, 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 why can't Maricopa County get its act together? It's really sad. The whole thing is sad. I mean, if we in this country, um, you know, FedEx can track a package around the world and can tell you exactly when it's going to get to your door, why can't we take votes and count them? I mean, Florida has exponentially more votes and counted them in five hours. Why can't we, as a country, come up with a system that says, here, you guys can run it, but you have to count them that night. you got to get an answer. Because it's, it's not only unfair to the people of your state, it's now unfair to the country, waiting to see who's going to control the House and the Senate. Um, everything I hear is that it's going to get tighter in Nevada, but the Laxalt people are competent. But yet the, the Cortez Masto people are confident. So I don't think they either one knows where the batch is coming in. In Arizona, um, the Masters people believe that the the day of vote is right. going to save them. And they think that this dump at the end, which is some 275,000 votes, is going to take not only Kerry Lake, but Masters across the finish line. Right. think that it's going to come out of the wire and that he's going to win. So we just have to wait. And, you know, I, I can't even say the words Arizona um, anymore. <laughs> oh, that's right. You get vilified. <laughs> oh, my God. So PTSD. The state that but, shall not be named. But, yeah. you, I mean, it's so surprising that, <clears throat> that Katie Hobbs has done so well. I mean, she literally pulled the Joe Biden, didn't do the debate, didn't get out on a lot of campaign events, rarely spoke to the media, and yet she's in charge of the election that is failing right now. Well, that's true. Um, I, I guess, you know, Stacey Abrams made the same case against Brian Kemp last time as he was secretary of state but in Georgia. But, I, I, you know, obviously that tact of not doing debates, of not doing town halls, we talked to pretty much every campaign and offered them a debate, a town hall, a back-to-back one-on-one interview, and they all turned it down except Ryan, uh, Tim Ryan, and, and JD Lance, uh, Vance rather in uh, in Ohio. And you know, it's it's a different time. I think that people and candidates have looked at Joe Biden and how he campaigned during COVID, and said, you know, maybe that works. I don't have to take the tough questions. Where does Biden stand in his party now? And I know he you know, gave the uh, pro forma answer of watch me, I'm going to run again and so on and so forth. But but does that put uh, erstwhile contenders for the nomination in 2024 back on their heels? Is is horror of horrors Gavin Newsom going to have to remain governor of California? <laughs> I, I think that we're going to find out that um, in in short order that the president is not running for re-election is my guess. Mm-hmm. I think he's politically uh, bolstered by the results of the midterm, but it's only uh, short term. 
because, you know, he's still not the messenger. If you look at the results of the midterm, it was not uh, anything really positive about his leadership. The, still, the direction of the country was 75% in the wrong direction. So I, I just think we'll see. Uh, but there are a lot of people that are waiting on the sidelines to, to get in that race. I think the other day, the speech, he was trying to lift up Kamala Harris uh, and talked about her a lot more than he usually does. And it'll be interesting to see if he tries to do that. Any prospect of leadership change in the House or Senate for Republicans, particularly, uh, obviously, McCarthy with what's projected to be a slim majority and McConnell, let's say, if Herschel Walker and Laxalt don't come in? Um, I, I think McConnell sticks around. I think uh, McCarthy's got some negotiating to do behind the scenes. He does have uh, Jim Jordan signed on, so that's a big, big lift. And Steve Scalise has signed on, so that's that's a big deal. But it's... It will be such a narrow majority that, um, you know, it's very possible that, you know, he won't be able to hurt the cats. He is Brett Baer. He is, of course, the host of Fox News Special Report, 5 p.m. weekday, Chicago time. Best-selling author of To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876. Brett, thanks as always. We'll see you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. James O'Keefe's Project Veritas and his guerrilla journalists have done it again. They've uncovered something quite unseemly at a Tony prep school in Connecticut. All right, what is it? Oh, no. And, you know, the next election's up. I know here we'll be talking a lot about the mayor's race, but but everywhere the next election's up, local elections, like school boards. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're talking about here is a private school, but nonetheless, it's sort of the same dynamic as, do you know what's going on inside the walls of your schools now that they've reopened? And have an appreciation of the impact of the curriculum do you have an appreciation for the personnel that would push the curricula we've talked about quite a bit critical race theory the sexualization of children iman rasti is the seventh grade dean seventh grade he's the director of the writing center for middle school english at Green Farms Academy in Connecticut. And the discussion between one of O'Keefe's undercover reporters and Mr. Rasty is about the prepubescent girls in his class who tempt him. Oh, no. And... Please say no. What you're about to hear is somewhat graphic, so be forewarned, it's going to be... It's stomach-turning. Um... And I, I, the the reaction can be, well, this is a one-off. This is just one person, and so on and so forth. But you know, charge. Sorry. It, you know, we're talking about a grade school. We, we know the incidence of sexual assault charges in big public school systems like CPS, 
Remember that Tribune expose from a few years ago? Oh, yeah, that all the woke parents ignored. Yeah, No exactly. one wanted to know. Turn a blind eye. Well, you do so potentially to your child's endangerment. Uh, take a listen to their exchange. Are you even tempted? Yes. It's hard. It's very I mean, literally and figuratively. Have you ever been tempted by your female students? Yes, every day. It's hard, figuratively and literally, is what he said. Oh, gross. It gets more gross. Somewhere in a class that is completely directly sponsored me, and they <clears throat> spread the legs wide open. And that's just brutal. Brutal. The predators live in Tangiba. Green, black, white. And they make sure. And it's like they talk to each other. Three of them do that. Uh, they're in a restaurant, right? But he, he said every day they, some girls spread their legs. Wow. Every day I see different panties. And he, you just heard him talk about the colors of the panties. I thought he was talking about that. That's disgusting. What else do you see? Oh, no. I open their legs wide open. And I'm teaching, and I see what I see. They make sure that panties, panties are like positioned in a way that I actually see the thing. Well, you saw them on the air. What else did you see? I can see the side. I can see the side of there. And he uh, goes on to talk about how he can pick up on when his girls, his female students start, seventh grade, when his female students start having sex. He can pick up on that. All my life and married and all that, you see changes in face and appearance. You probably do. So you see a 15 year old girl and then. Next year, they come back to school, and she's a woman. There's no way she has gained weight just doing nothing. It's clear that she has had sex, a lot of sex. Part of the reason why those girls give me attention, in addition to me being genuine with them and honest with them, I think is maybe they get that bond that sexual tension. I, I, I feel like we're kidding. So 15-year-old uh, girls come back, and the next year, they, after they've been sexually active, according to him, according to his read, they, uh, they're different, and there's sexual tension between him and them, he says. Mm -hmm. Has he uh, ever had sex with any of his students? Oh not with my K-12, but college. many, 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 many of my students. When he taught at college, he had sex with many, many, many of his students, but not K-12. through 12. 
although he's open-minded on the topic. Give the bribe. Uh-huh. It's obvious. But I refuse because I don't talk to my students. That you don't come? That's my principle. That's your what? Principle. I, okay. I don't do that. But sometimes I make exceptions. Okay. Sometimes. Did you say sometimes I make exceptions? That's what he said. Okay. Uh, Project Veritas interviewed a retired Pennsylvania state trooper who was part of the major crimes unit when, during his 25 years as a state trooper. And after he watched this exchange between the undercover reporter and Mr. Rasty, the seventh grade dean at Green Farms Academy in Connecticut, this is what he said, Tom McAndrew. The concern with this particular individual is that he sort of has blurred the lines uh, between fantasy and reality. He certainly is in a position of power and authority, and he should recognize that role. When I was in the Pennsylvania State Police, uh, the unit I was in, we would often look at threat assessments and uh, elevation of somebody's behavior. And certainly this individual would strike me as somebody, if he has not already acted out, meaning you know victimized uh, children, he certainly has thought about it. When they start to justify that behavior in their mind, which he seems to do throughout that conversation, it becomes very concerning. If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. I wouldn't want this individual around my teenage uh, child when this is where his thought process is. Although, again, for the left, uh, (coughs) excuse me, teenagers aren't children. Right. uh, Because, you know, they can... Get an abortion without mom or dad knowing. In Wait, California, yeah. they can they can get uh, they can pu- go on puberty blockers or uh, mutilate themselves, changing their gender identity without parental notice. And then there's maps. And then there's the minor attracted persons that uh, the left is attempting to normalize by calling them minor attractive per- minor attracted persons rather than pedophiles. I mean, this guy gave detailed sexual fantasies about minor students that. He teaches. Uh, he has been put on leave. Thank pending God. Inve- pending an investigation. We'll see how that turns out. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Does it start to uh, impress upon you the need to, as Tim Scott put it, put parents back in charge of their kids' education? You understand what people are saying when they're saying it's time for parents to exert more control and oversight about what's happening in their kids' schools. And in response, by the way, to Tim Scott's statement, Mr. Honeypot himself, Eric Swalwell, please tell me what I'm missing here. What are we doing next? Putting patients in charge of their own surgeries, clients in charge of their own trials? When did we stop trusting experts? This is so stupid. Is it? These are going to be the referenda questions on the ballot come the spring when these school board members are up for re-election. And you know they're going to be backed, these school board members that we're talking about, and these ghouls like this teacher at uh, this prep school in Connecticut. Green Farms Academy. This is is what we're talking about. They're going to be backed by the teachers' unions with money, with manpower. So, you know, that revolt that started in the state of Virginia and has moved around the country, 
to varying degrees. It best continue. It best continue. When did we stop trusting experts? When the experts proved they were unworthy of our trust? Is that a fair answer? This is the kind of conversation, and again, uh, this is one case, but there are many, many cases. And where we focus on one case when it's an institution the, the press corps despises, like the Catholic Church, and then we don't focus on other cases when it's an institution that the press corps admires, supports, like a public school system or like a you know, leftist prep school for, for offals and their kids. And if the school wants to do the right thing, I mean, they, they have the evidence. This man was not taken out of context. By any means, they should just get rid of him right now, fire him. John in Libertyville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, so in regards to schools, uh, a big part of why I wasn't very supportive but eventually did support Darren Bailey was that he wouldn't, you know, ban CRT and the sexualization of children in schools via executive order. I get the uh, conservative ideology principle, what is it, subsidiary? But uh, I think you need to do it because it should be illegal, right? You know, some of this stuff. Well, uh, well, I I watched the video. Yeah, well, I mean, go ahead, John. The, the things like sex changes to minors, I, I think these things go to hand in hand. Shouldn't that be illegal? You're like female genital mutilation, I remember, was a big deal a couple years ago. Now it's uh, okay to, you know, give a, a girl a hysterectomy or, you know, cut a piece of her arm off to make a fake penis. Uh, thanks for the call, John. Well, uh, yeah, it was a big deal when it was happening forcibly in in countries like Africa, in, in countries in Africa, and apparently it's not a big deal in the state of California. <laughs> that's that's sort of where things are at. It, it's uh, a big deal. Ron DeSantis, talking about the midterms, he made it a big deal in the state of Florida and became you know, a national target of the left for it. But is it a big deal? Don't say gay. Of course, that was the way to misdirect people's attention away from the actual substance of the matter, which is, which is really the sexualization of children in the primary grades right. through the curriculum. And no sex up between K to third grade. That's not a big ask. And so, so the proponents of the sexualization of children in terms of curriculum, maybe some of them are proponents of the sexualization of children personally, individually. Did you ever think of that? Grant in Rockford. Good morning, you two. Great show. It's a disgusting topic, but thank God you guys shine the light on it. And you, uh, you guys, it just reinforced my decision to homeschool every day. It's hard. It's the, one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's hard on the marriage. It's hard on everything. But I think it's going to turn out worth it. My daughter just went off to uh, went off to her one homeschool academy at the local church today. So have a good one, guys. Thanks, Grant. Richard, South Suburbs. Hey, Dan and Amy. Um, I'm really disgusted by this whole topic. I mean, does the definition of pervert have a meaning anymore? Pervert? You know, what, you know, what is right. a pervert? Right. I don't know. I, does, it, I, I, does that been redefined out of existence? Yeah, a pervert is a map now. Right? <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. Thanks for, thanks for the call. I mean, I, it, it's one of those things where uh, let's like, talk about so many issues. No, no, that's not happening. That's not, yeah. That they're not really that teaching can't be that. True. No, people like that don't exist. Okay, all right. Greg Lagrange. How you doing, guys? This is very similar to what I was just reading in City Journal. There's a piece by an author whose name escapes me right now about how the Department of uh, uh, Civil Rights is going to be used to perform this transitory program called Social Transition, which allows uh, puberty blockers to young minors. Uh, people that are not aware of, of what their sexuality is without the uh, uh, permission of their parents. And, and this is this is the kind of stuff that is just going to destable every aspect of the American family and already has. And it's and the schools are just going along with it, it seems to me, in a lot of these cases. I, I believe this guy deserves due process out in Connecticut, but this is like that state trooper said this disturbing disturbing uh conversation being had and i would not want my children anywhere near this school parents have to fight back virginia Thanks. oh sorry i didn't mean to cut you off thanks for the call greg you know a uh, text from 708 really good point and it sort of flies on what greg was saying this conversation the text from 708 he was talking to a woman about this very weird yeah to say the least, it should be very weird, very weird, no matter who he was talking to. But you're talking to an undercover female reporter and you're talking about prepubescent girls and oh their private God, parts I mean, and so on and so forth and who you've had sex with and so on and so forth. And he so was eager to give the information like, yes, yeah, someone's indulging him and he can talk about his fantasies and what he's done. There's what sex- he plans to do. It's sick. There's sexual tension between you, a grown man, and your seventh grade female students. Does she know about this? The way he talks about it is the way that uh, you you know you've seen predators talk about this before. Is that they're coming on to me, uh huh, right. School board elections in the spring. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM five sixty, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, and on this Veterans Day, we're uh, pleased to be joined by Major General Paul Vallelli. He is a retired U.S. Army Major General, Senior Military Analyst for Fox News. He served in the Vietnam War, retired in 1993 as Deputy Commanding General, Pacific Command. And he, along with his colleague, Lieutenant General Thomas McInerney, have a new book, America's Endgame for the 21st Century, A Blueprint for Saving Our Country. Uh, General Vallely, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. It's actually Vallely. Oh, Vallely. 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 Sorry there about that. There you go. Okay. Thank you. All right. Very <laughs> All good. Right. Get that, that pronunciation right. Well, uh, Vallely. Got it. Um, so, uh, General, uh, America's endgame for the 21st century, a blueprint for saving our country. From what does our country need saving? I'll just look at the news, look at inflation, look at the move to uh, uh, communist uh, ideology uh, by members of uh, our Congress. Uh, uh, the Great Reset, uh, Klaus Schwab controlling things, uh, puppets uh, like Biden, for example. 
the border, uh, threats from China. Uh, this is probably, in, in my 82 years, uh, uh, the biggest uh, threat uh, I see to America from inside and from out. And we have to be prepared for it, and I'm afraid we're not. With the lack of leadership we have now in Washington, woke generals and admirals are concerned more about critical race theory and uh, uh, equity and diversity and all of that rather than focusing on readiness. So uh, a lot of problems there, but we can solve them. And that's why uh, the first chapter of America's Endgame is a spiritual awakening in America. If we don't have a spiritual awakening, get back to honesty and trust, we're not going to make it. Does that uh, spiritual awakening need to happen first in the military? It has to happen everywhere. In our schools, uh, in our communities, uh, we have to start trusting each other. We've got to stop these politicians from continual lying. Uh, all the time, uh, as they do, uh, not telling the truth. Uh, look through a reality prism, not a political prism, to solve our problems. So, but you know, this is uh, this has happened over several decades. I mean, it just didn't happen overnight. Uh, but uh, you know, we're looking for diesel fuel shortages uh, in the next 20 days, food shortages, unable to move uh, goods and uh, services, uh, and so when you look at these challenges. Uh, we have to look at who's going to lead us back. Who's going to be in charge of this awakening? Uh, a new vision for America. So of the many leftist groups that are working to tear down, you know, traditional values, who do you think is the most dangerous? Well, if you look in the book, we also talk about uh, World Economic uh, Forum, a Klaus Schwab. Uh, we've identified 38 of these global elitists, financiers, uh, and uh, they have put in place uh, their puppets uh, in England, Macron in France, uh, Biden, uh, who's a puppet of Obama. So uh, there, there are uh, these evil—I would say—evil satanic moves almost in this country. And the fact that they, the conduct of tyranny by the FBI, going out and arresting innocent civilians, uh, entering into our school board meetings. And uh, they politicize and militarize the FBI. And we really don't have a Department of Justice anymore. Uh, I call it a Department of Injustice. And so, America, be aware. Open your eyes up. Connect the dots to what's going on. We have to do it to save America. Well, you know, the reason I ask about the military uh, leading the way in this uh, reawakening and the saving of the country is because it's the one institution that still enjoys you know, widespread respect, uh, even as there are struggles, as you sort of alluded to, with readiness as well as recruitment. But it still enjoys uh, legitimacy in the minds of a majority of Americans. And so if we don't get the leadership from those who serve our country honorably, you know, from where will it come? Well, I, I don't think you're right on that. Okay. Uh, our studies at the Stand Up America U.S. Foundation show there's a lack of patriotism in the country. Uh, and this has been uh, nurtured uh, through our schools. Uh, want to do away with the Constitution. The confidence of parents we found now sending their young men and women in the military is way down. That's why reenlistment is down. Uh, that is why the uh, retention uh, down. Uh, so it's not what you think. It's not, uh, you know, in my 32 years in the military, General Patton would turn over in his grave and saw what these bells and admirals are doing. And they need to all be relieved. Some of them committing treason, like Daryl Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. 
So, no, our military has not looked the same to our society as it did. And we know that for sure because the what's happening, you know, really shows that, in my opinion. General Milley, Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, committing treason in your mind. Explain. Well, if if you remember, uh, he called the, uh, uh, unbeknownst to uh, President Trump at the time, the uh, senior commander, his counterpart in the Chinese People's Liberation Army, basically telling them, well, I'll I'll let you know if uh, our president decides to do anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also treason and dereliction of duty on mandatory vaccine of our troops. We have over uh, 100 lawsuits right now against the Department of Defense, which we're supporting. Uh, and enforcing the Nuremberg Codes of 1947, uh, that they're uh, vaccinating these uh, troops who are the healthiest in the world, by the way. And even with the negative information that's coming out on the vaccine and the boosters, showing a lot of illnesses, early death in the younger ages, but the Department of Defense won't budge. So we're going after them legally. And uh, at Stand Up America, a U.S. foundation, if you go to our website, standupamericaus.org, You'll see a legal uh, defense fund uh, supporting our troops uh, uh, in their legal uh, contest. Uh, and this is happening at the academies as well. So, And, and so, 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 so is the blueprint essentially a rallying cry for the platoons of democracy, the civic and social professional organizations to um, – uh, you know, to, to to essentially pick up something sharp rhetorically and go to battle for our country. Uh, well, we're in a battle now. As far as I'm concerned, we're in the first phase of a civil war, completely divided country, uh, and the politicians aren't going to solve our problems. They tend to look through the political prism to solve things. It's got to be down at the grassroots level, at the county, in our town, our county sheriffs, uh, our governors need to. Uh, enforce the uh, Tenth Amendment, states' rights versus uh, federal rights. And the governors could be doing a lot more. So we point all of these things out in the book, but it is clearly a blueprint that will lead us back to restore our Constitution, faith in America, uh, and also restore uh, the confidence we need, especially to uh, protect uh, uh, our young children that are coming up now. They don't need to face all the things we're facing. We've got to change that. We've got to make it a positive environment for our children and think, protect them at the same time. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you think that our enemies are watching all this and the wokeness in the military and sitting back and laughing at us? Oh, absolutely. The The Chinese Communist Party, we've written over 22 analysis by our China team at the foundation, and they've infiltrated our universities, Wall Street, uh, in our government uh there are 38 members of Congress who are including Biden to the Chinese. And the uh, Chinese are very smart. And I predicted uh, when we surrendered in Afghanistan, I said, you watch, uh, the Chinese will be in Bagram and take that air base over in three weeks. Well, they actually did it in two weeks. The Chinese moved into Bagram uh, as part of the connection of their Silk Belt uh, initiative across uh, the Middle East and up into Europe and into Africa. So the Chinese, uh, they're on the move. Uh, the threat's still there to take Taiwan. And uh, uh, Xi Jinping, he knows that uh, we have a very weak, uh, mentally declining president and uh, a very weak uh, vice president. And, of course, we have a whole executive branch that, are, that seem to be clueless in how to solve America's problems. So they see that. Of course they do. They watch it. They get reports. Uh, 
the same thing uh, with the cartels working southern border. I yeah, uh, wrote a plan for Trump. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I wrote a plan, a battle plan, to neutralize the cartels and take them out of business. Uh, Joe McInerney and I, Joe Boykin, we could take the cartels down in seven days. More deaths are coming from fentanyl coming across our border. Yet we do nothing, and then we dump billions of dollars uh, into Ukraine, and we can't even protect our own border. Very uh, serious. But the cartels from, need to be taken out of action. From, from your perspective, as you said, with uh, 32 years of military service, you mentioned the leadership of the armed services, but what about the rank and file? Have you seen a, you know, based on the the devolution of all these other institutions and society you're talking about, have you seen a marked change in the quality of the enlisted men and women in our ranks? Well, I understand the uh, the recruiting, the standards have been lowered uh, uh, from what they used to be. Uh, I've gotten reports of that we get in from soldiers on duty now, sailors, Marines, and even cadets at West Point. And uh, they've enlightened us on the outside of what's happening uh, at the academies and, and in our ranks. The, the service people, the rank and file, are not dumb. They see the lack of superb leadership. They see the lack of courage of these generals and admirals we have today that have gone woke on us. And so, yes, they see that and they understand it. That's why reenlistment is down. That's why recruiting is down, why readiness is down. We may have over 300 Air Force pilots who will leave the service in the next 10 months. Look what that's going to do to us. So there you go. He is Major General Paul Vallelee. He's a U.S. Army retired Major General, senior military analyst for Fox News. He served in Vietnam. He retired in 93 as Deputy Commanding General of the Pacific Command. And he's written a new book with his colleague, Lieutenant General uh, Thomas McInerney, America's Endgame for the 21st Century, A Blueprint for Saving Our Country. Uh, General uh, Vallelee, thanks so much for joining us, and good luck with the book. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Take Thank care, and God bless. You too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer. On AM 560, The Answer. Open mic, open mic Friday, calling now, open mic Friday. Dan and Amy, top of the morning, it's that time of the week, open mic Friday, taking your calls with comments, concerns, compliments, general crack pottery, we'll take it all. I'll start, I got a quick one. Okay. Lori Lightfoot offered her congratulations to... Her tweet, I'm reading. Okay. We elected not one, but two lesbian governors this week. A truly historic time for our community. Let's go. I got a dart in my neck. Let's go lesbians. She did not write let's go. Let's go lesbians. She with did? three exclamation points. Three exclamation points for each of the three lesbians. It's a thruple. <laughs> Lori Lightfoot, Maura Healy, the new governor of Massachusetts, right. and Tina Kotek who did end up winning the governor's race in Oregon. I mean, who... Oh, my... Who really? That's how you identify? I, but but this is the this Lord. is the depths of identity Everybody's politics. Everybody's gay, whatever. Let's go, lesbians! lesbians. <laughs> Let's go, lesbians! Did she do a TikTok with it where she dances, you know, to embarrass her daughter even more? I'm sure that's forthcoming. Kids love when their parents do TikToks. Trust me. It's really All right. good. All right. See if you can beat Let's Go, Lesbians. Well, mine's a little more... I just... 
this story, you know how some stories just don't sit right? Well, apparently they've shut down construction and they're not letting people back in until this, this, this caper has been solved. Apparently there was a noose at the site where the presidential library is being constructed. Now, there's four entrances into that place. You right, mean Obama world? The Obama world, yes, Obama uh-huh. land, excuse me. Four entrances, because I talked to police, and you, you and I uh-huh. can't go in. So it's, it's an inside job, okay? And the company that's in charge, Lakeside Alliance, it's a joint venture of African-American-owned construction firms. So now they're offering a $100,000 reward All to right, information Bubba, leading to it. Bubba Wallace, go get your $100,000. <laughs> no, Justin, well, people, Justin was saying, what are the Ascendario brothers doing lately? Mm-hmm. But I don't, and then I'm hearing reports that it might be an extension cord that was mistaken for news. Yeah, right. But here's the that. thing. Governor Pritzker, and everybody's responded, Mayor Lightfoot. Of course. Governor Pritzker, you know, we condemn an act of hate. And if this is an act of hate, yes, I agree. But adding that state's going to help provide resources to catch the perpetrators. How about the state providing resources to find the person who killed the seven-year-old sweet little boy who was washing his hands while getting ready for bed? That's, that's, there's so many murders that are unsolved. How about putting resources toward that, Governor Pritzker? Mm. Well, the problem is, and this is their choice, the Obamas chose to build Obama World in MAGA country. Oh, and so, you know. <laughs> it's I mean, true. Okay. And then real quick, we had this other incident in Rogers Park yesterday where a, sco- a busload of Jewish school children were going home. And Orthodox Jewish Orthodox kids. Jewish kids were going home, and four men somehow got on the bus and were screaming um, you know, racial slurs at them and doing the Hal Hitler sign. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the principal of the school is saying, no, that, that didn't happen. The, there was a, an argument between the 12-year-old on the bus and the men that got on the bus. So that don't be, you know, just I think everyone's got to cool their heels before we're, you know, saying the grown men are jumping on school buses, harassing children. My heels couldn't be any cooler. (laughs) Again, when there is an Uh. insatiable demand for something, supply will follow. And so this is the supply the left provides to to continue to prop up their narrative that uh, we live in a racist patriarchal society so on and so we forth. we live in maga country as you you know and the new set of oh so is this is this so construction will stop is that why construction will stop or is it because uh obama world doesn't have the financing to complete construction and this is a cover story is this a a, a shakedown of the state for more for for cash you know what that isn't being raised privately that might because this one of the employees that was interviewed by the Tribune said that we don't know how long. This could be weeks. It could be months until they get construction back up. <laughs> really? You're going to hold up right. construction for months over this alleged, and I do say alleged, noose because I'm sorry. There's just been too many race hoaxes, and we understand the disposition of the identitarians to take anything they say at face value, so I won't. But that is a closed site for Lakeside Alliance uh, construction crews and yeah, okay. vendors, so nobody can get in there. So yeah, okay. Unless they jump the fence. Uh, uh, okay. Somebody put Valerie Jarrett on the job. <laughs> Eduardo Midway, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, a couple of points here. I'm a Jones graduate, and we had they had a uh, a racist incident there. The South Loop and West Loop, when they were gentrified, you had all these white liberal uh, parents sending their kids to places like Jones Commercial. Because when I went there in the '80s, it was all black and uh, Latino. Mm-hmm. And Antifa, it's, correct me if I'm wrong. It's all white organizations, right? So basically, they could be behind a lot of these uh, things too, just to make uh, our side look bad. 
Yeah. This is a blue city. It's ridiculous. It's MAGA country. MAGA country. Eduardo, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill in Waukegan. Hey, uh, Dan and Amy, thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to say I love that general who was on the uh, line earlier. Yeah, it was good. Um, and I couldn't, ag- I couldn't agree with him more as far as the state of our troops and and where they're going. Um, I hate to say this, but I go to James Lovell uh, VA Hospital, and the other day I saw a transgender sailor uh, for the first time uh, with earrings, a ponytail, and obviously a male with a, uh, a huge, a bigger Adam's apple than my own. I was wondering and where Chelsea Manning dying. ended up. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to say uh, on, uh, in regards to the, uh, the Army and all the services and all the veterans out there uh, on Veterans Day, um, I, I would never take back the 41 years of my service, but I tell you what, I would have a hard time uh, joining anything uh, if I was 18 years old and looking for a way or some kind of future in, in America. So thank you. Happy Veterans Day to all. And I love you guys. Thanks oh, for the call, thank Bill. You. Appreciate it. Remember and when we used to have school off to honor veterans on Veterans Day? Now they move that to Election Day this year. Well, and, the, the you know, the problem per what the general had to say, per what Bill just had to say, is that you're hearing that statement from way too many veterans that I'm proud of my service and I wouldn't trade it, but if it was if I was thinking about joining today, I'd be thinking twice. That's a problem. It's a problem. Matt in Oak Lawn. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, real quick, if I could just go back a couple of days. I called in making a, a joke. I, I had a question about the, the governor's race, but I, was, I made a joke about taking my wife on our first date to Twin Anchors. In that, I said that they're not the best ribs, and I was getting buddies that listen to the show call me saying, you love that place. What are you talking about? So I totally apologize. I got nervous on the super celebrity uh, hotline and yeah. said the wrong thing. All right. The, the owners know. of totally Twin Acres long. got to you, huh? I don't know if the Lucy families, <laughs> we're going to have to check with them to see if they accept yep. your apology. Yep. But you better, you better, I'll tell you what, you better go to Twin Acres and you better get a couple of slabs. You better repent. Let's go. There will be slabs, beer, and there will be no dancing. <laughs> Very good. All right. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Oh, sweet. Uh, oh, of course, the birthday wishes oh. continue to pile in. Mm-hmm. Joe, Plainfield. I'm 29. Hey, happy birthday. Uh, I just want to thank you. I'm also an Air Force veteran, and my birthday was the 8th, and I didn't, didn't get the present I wanted. I had a, a Bailey sign in front of my home with six-foot letters that lit up all night long for two months, and Basically, uh, I'm into campaign signs. I started collecting them through elections back, and the corrugated plastic boards are useful for new signs or siding or squirrel photos. Anyway, uh, and interesting, though, Bailey signs are just plastic bags on wire, but most signs are corrugated plastic boards, 18 by 24. I collected over 1,000 of them. Took a couple of days. Even the Bailey signs are useless to me. I removed them just to count them. I could easily have over 100. How many JB Prisker signs do you think I found? Just three. Do you think they knew the fix was in? Let me finish with a great story. I focus on areas where there are many signs, mostly near polling places. This year, the mother load was downtown Joliet next to the Willow County building with a COVID testing station, solid signs, the whole black line. I knew that the city wouldn't leave them, so I showed up around 7 a.m. and removed over 100 from the front. I had moved to the rear for another 50 when the city workers came out to remove them and asked me if I had permission from the clerk. 
I said, no, but I kept putting signs in my car trying to hurry up and get out of there. But no longer, not long after, the guy comes up to me. He's obviously angry and asks, who am I with, the Dems or the Republicans? When I replied, Democrat, he offered to let me take more. I said, I was good, and I went to the other side of the lot and got another 50 and got out of there with no resistance. Okay. Thanks, Joe. If you need signs, check Joe in Plainfield. Uh, Tom in Blue Island. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Amy, I got a a little cat story for you. It's going to be, Amy's a cat lady. I live with uh, a mother and daughter, Misty and Emily, who are both cat women now. Um, but an odd lead-in, Dan, this is related to what you ended the show with yesterday about the Montana abortion uh, referendum that passed. And uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and started scribbling some notes. And um, this was a part of what I wrote, uh, but it's the positive part. It's Friday. Everyone wants to have a laugh. And since the DeSantis people and the Never Trumpers are going to destroy MAGA, I figured maybe I could start a new organization called Magic, Make America Great, Including Cats. (laughs) Okay. Um, Amy, this is for you. I have a straight... Amy, I have a straight cat that uh, comes to the garage. Uh, I'm not a big cat person, but the cat was huddled next to a garbage can and looked hungry about a month ago. And um, on my way to Dunkin' Donuts every morning, there's a corner store. I got some cat food. I fed the cat. As time went on, the cat started getting a little closer and closer to uh, my garage until eventually it would sit outside my garage waiting for its food. Uh, One day coming home, it was pouring rain out. The cat's sitting out there waiting for its food. And so after that, I decided to leave my garage cracked a little bit. There you go. So it begins, yes. So so the cat could get inside because I felt bad for the cat. And now, after a couple months, when I get home from work, I'm looking to see the cat as much as the cat does me. And then originally I thought the cat was just going crazy meowing Uh, because he wanted food. But then I noticed after he ate... He, uh, you know, he would keep me out without happiness this, for seeing someone. Does, does this cat and, story uh, have? Does this cat story have an end? And now, uh, I mean, now the cat's in Tom's bed. Not uh, now the this... cat's a Tom cat. Oh, that's cool. oh, oh. That's so, it, so Dan, the, is that is that is this little... is this is this a treatment for a pilot that you're pitching the networks or? No, sir. No, sir. Uh, Just a quick interlude because I know there's other people. Dan, what made me think about it was that horrible Montana law. And uh, I'll I'll put it together for you in that um, I know it's just a cat. I'm not a great cat person, but it's still a life. And um, I think there's people that can do something for life. And then you have the others that could actually watch a baby on on a table and could could and would do something and choose not to. So you guys Thanks. have a good weekend. Thanks for the call, Tom and Tom's cat. Rick in Downers Grove. Hey, good morning. I got a theory on why Tuesday turned out the way it did. And because the stars couldn't have been any more aligned between an intelligent choice or voting for a Democrat, and we've seen how it turned out. And Wednesday you had a caller say that the Democrats have convinced people that 2 plus 2 is 5. And I started thinking about the stories you come up with about the graduates out of high school. They're basically coming out functionally illiterate. 
with basically a fourth grade education, college is not much better. So it's not easy to convince people like that, that two plus two is uh, five and Donald Trump's a Russian spy. And it's a mostly peaceful demonstration. Then you got Grant Whitmer in uh, Michigan saying, shut the schools down. No, I didn't do that. Well, maybe a week. And people believe they lived through her draconian treatment of COVID and he still voted her in. So I think we're funding an army, a never increasing army of very dumb people. And I don't know how that's going to change until the education system changes. Thanks for the call, Rick. Uh, Mike, Another beautiful and, lie. Uh, Mike in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Hey, greetings. I have to check in every couple of weeks with my new band name, but I'd like to start by telling you I was at Air Force Academy's commencement last year. My niece graduated at the top of the class, and Millie spoke. And I was dumbstruck when he started talking about trannies during the commencement in the Air Force, just so you know. Really? Um, second of all, my new wow. band's name is Semi-Fascist. We're playing in Milwaukee this weekend like we always do. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's Thanks good. for the call, Mike. Uh, semi-Fascist, yeah. Uh, John and Huntley. Hi, John. John and Huntley. Hi, guys. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so what's the difference between Donald Trump and God? Is this like a doctor joke? It is. Yeah. A little bit updated. God <laughs> knows he's not Donald Trump. Right. Thanks for the call, John. Uh, see that one floating up the Chicago River. Uh, Kevin in Austin, Texas. Hey, Sean. Uh, or, uh, Dan. Dan. Sean, what is this? Why are you wow. calling me Sean? Hey, Tim. How are you? I, I could, we couldn't be more because diametrically I, opposed <laughs> in, in, in every And I'm glad facet. to hear that. And I'm, and I'm yeah. glad to hear that. I guess because I always try to battle Sean, and uh, I, I want him to encourage people to get involved. Anyhow, there's a there's an old uh, axiom that a lot, there are only there are no permanent alliances, only just permanent interests. What are the interests that need to be a bigger influence in the GOP? And before that, I just I'm glad mm-hmm. I don't want Jim Durkin to go away angry. I just want him to go away. He's mm-hmm. been part of the decline of the managed decline at Illinois. Anyhow, after you answer that question, I got one other thing I want to ask. That's okay. Uh, uh, what's the other? The thing? permanent interests. Permanent interests versus permanent alliances. How? What are the interests that are going to influence the Illinois GOP going forward? Uh, thanks for the call. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know what they should be, but I don't know what they will be. I mean, we talk about it ad nauseum. I spent $35 million of other people's money trying to advocate for them in this election cycle. So, you know, things like opportunity scholarships to create competition at the K through 12 level, things like reducing the size and scope and expense of government, things like returning people's equity, home equity to them through property tax caps, uh, doing what Jared Polis uh, is apparently interested in doing in Colorado, Democrat, which is getting their income state income tax rate to zero. That's what he said the ideal rate should be. Completely agree just like in Florida, just like in Texas, just like in Tennessee. Uh, and, uh, of course, um, remembering that it, it law and order is not about black and white. It's about criminals and victims. I mean, if I think that's a lot you could organize a party around if there was the interest. All right, let's uh, close it out. Uh, he's got uh, limited on. time on his hands. He has to get over to the Thirsty Parrot by 10 o'clock. Chuck in Delavan, Wisconsin. <laughs> Uh, no thirsty parrot this week. I'm going to give private dance lessons being my girlfriend. Anyway, my you're going opponent's to give them or wait, wait, you're going to give them or you get them? 
No, I'm giving them. So my opponent this week spent $15.50 per vote. The, the Democrats spent uh, $5 per vote. I spent $0.45 cents per vote. So I ended up winning. I won the election. Uh, <laughs> I just couldn't get enough people on $0.45. Cents to, you know, to, you know Chuck, so, Chuck, yeah, thank you. Get 0.8% of Chuck, you know, it's funny you say that because you and I have so much in common. Great dancers, ladies, men. Um, we enjoy the thirsty parrot. And when I ran for governor, I also had the lowest cost per vote. But that told me something. I didn't have enough money and I didn't get enough votes. So we have that in common as well. <laughs> At least That's why we ran. need campaign finance reform. All right. Thanks for the call, Chuck. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to podcasts of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.